Welcome to the Karen Kenny Show. This is the place where we take a no bullshit look at life's little lessons. Here, together, we find the spiritual glory in even the most wicked hard story. This is a journey from fear back to love and how we can find our greatest strength and happiness in some of the most unlikely places. I believe that if you're willing to change your mind, you can totally change your life. So, are you ready to rewrite your story and choose to live free? Let's do this. Hey, you guys, welcome to the Karen Kenny Show. <laughs> I try to do it a little different every time so you guys don't get bored with the intro. <laughs> Ooh, getting a little punchy up here, you guys. All right, check it out. Episode 73. Today's topic is actually even a little surprising to me because uh, I did not know what I was talking about today until about 15 minutes ago when I sent up a flare, sent up a flare to my spiritual team and I was like, guys, What's on topic? Like what, what's, what, what's happening today? What, what is KK talking about today? And you guys, you want to know what came through? <gasps> this is the title. And this is, it's a backdoor. It's a backdoor way in because I was actually thinking about this two stories, a couple of stories that I really wanted to tell. Um, and I was like, I have no idea what I'm going to title this. And they were like, boom, imposter syndrome. And I'm like, this is fascinating. And I'm so excited. Um, and if imposter syndrome is something that um, you haven't heard of before, um, I think most of you have, but in case you haven't, let me just share a little bit about what this sucker is about. So imposter syndrome, also known as imposter phenomenon or imposterism or fraud syndrome or the imposter experience. I mean, there's a bunch of names for this thing. So here's the thing. Imposter syndrome is a psychological pattern in which one doubts one's accomplishments and has a persistent internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud. Ooh, and a persistent internalized fear that they're going to be exposed as a fraud. Now, I hear people talk about this all the time, and I will say this. I know that this fear, this particular kind of fear has stopped many a person, many an entrepreneur, many a writer, many an artist, many a, all kinds of people who, who have, um, you know, there's this wonderful quote. I want to say it's like W-H, W-H, oh, it's going to drive me crazy that I can't think of the exact. All right. Anyways, there's this famous quote that basically says this. Um, until one commits, there is hesitancy. And what it goes on to say is this hesitancy, right? This fear until one commits, there's hesitancy. And it's this hesitancy that has killed countless dreams. <laughs> and it's, it's basically around the guy that finally decided to summit Mount Everest or whatever the thing was, or the, the you know, the, whatever that really big range of mountains that I can't think of off the top of my head right now. But it was like, but once one commits, once one commits, providence will move too. And all kinds of things that you need, people and, and resources and whatever will like just show up. Um, so just begin, like just begin, right? Because this persistent internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud, it has stopped so many people from going after their dreams. And here's the thing. I want to I tell you a couple of stories um, around imposter syndrome. And I can also maybe share a little bit of um, how I kind of avoid having it. Um, and I'm not going to say I've never had it. I'm not going to say there aren't still times when maybe a doubt crosses my mind or whatever. But um, I'll share a little bit about how I kind of, you know, um, have, um, I don't want to say worked my way around it, but I just don't really feel like it's something that I worry about that often. It's not something that's at the forefront of my mind. Um, but that wasn't always the case. So, so I think that that arc, that story arc um, of transformation is always really wicked helpful. It's the thing that I love to hear about that hero's journey, as Joseph Campbell calls it. Okay, so here's a little story I'm going to tell you. So back when I lived in California, 
Um, I took classes at UCLA, UCLA Extension, um, which is UCLA, not at the main campus, but they had programs like scattered in, at different places um, throughout, throughout um, you know, like Burbank and like, you know, Universal City Studio, all that stuff. So I took my classes. I took one like downtown LA, but there was another one that I took actually up at uh, Universal City. Um, and I took a bunch of writing classes and I, and I had this one professor, this one teacher, Barbara Abercrombie. If you don't, Barbara Abercrombie was such a fantastic teacher. She's written several books. I have them all. I adore her. Um, and she was just such an incredible, oh, she was one of the first teachers who really told me that um, I had a story to tell, that I had a voice and she encouraged me to use it. So one day, so here I am, I'm in my 20s, right? I'm in my 20s and I'm in this memoir writing class and this teacher tells us as part of our homework that she wants us to claim ourselves as writers, that she wants us to start calling ourselves writers. And she said, so I want you to like go out into the world, of course, live your life, whatever. And when somebody asks you like what you do or whatever, I want you to say, I'm a writer. And she was like, it doesn't matter if you haven't been published yet or you're not making money from it yet. It's just wicked important that you start to claim this thing. And I was like, oh my God. Like I, I was just so like, oh, like that was going to be so hard for me to do to like claim it because the people that I saw as like writers and authors, like I, I was okay with saying like maybe I was a storyteller because like I love to tell stories and stuff like that. So I was like, you know, the people that I thought of as like writers and stuff like that, like Stephen King and like, you know, whatever, like people who like really were well known. And I was like, yeah, I'm okay. Like saying I'm, I'm, I tell stories. I love to tell stories, but being like a writer or an author, like claiming that like just seemed like kind of a big fucking deal. So BFD as they would say. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I'm not going to say it in California because like everybody here, like everybody and their brother is like, a writer, a screen, screenwriter, a playwright, an act, like something. So I'm like, okay, when I'm at home, I went home uh, to, you know, well, I, I came back East, right? On a break or whatever it was, or um, so at some point for the summer, I don't know what I was visiting for, but I was home and I'm like, okay, I'm going to practice this. So I was out um, with uh, some people in my family I'm not going to name names. <laughs> I've forgiven them. I've forgiven them since, but at the time, but this is the story. So we're out and we're at like this fast food restaurant. Okay. So we go in to order some food and, uh, this is, you know, way back, like way back before I was vegan and I come up to the thing and there's a wicked cute kid at the register. Right. And I'm like, okay, this kid is hot. And, uh, I'm, you know, of course I was like, you know, we're talking and flirting and I was wicked tan and stuff like that and he's like oh where are you from like whatever and I start talking I say oh I'm from here but I I live in uh California now I'm here on a break and he says he asked the American question right he asked the very American question that everybody asked which is so what do you do and all of a sudden I just feel my heart start pounding because I think okay Here's my chance to practice, right? Here's my chance to do my homework and claim myself as a writer and do what, you know, do what I need to do um, and to like be brave, right? Like I'm like, okay, I'm going to claim it. I'm going to do this. So I say to the wicked cute kid, oh, I'm a writer. And I just saw the look on his face and it was like, I could tell he found it really intriguing and he was about to ask me something. And all of a sudden, the family member who was wicked tall, like wicked tall, like probably almost like a foot taller than me, leans over my shoulder and says to the kid, she's not a writer. She's a fucking waitress. And he just starts laughing. And I'll never, I mean, dudes, let me just tell you something. I'm pretty tough, but that one took the wind out of my sails. I was so, it was like getting punched right in the face and getting kicked. Like if I had balls, it was like getting kicked in the balls, getting punched in the face and punched in the stomach, like all at once. Right. It was just like, Oh, 
and I was so embarrassed and like I and I don't really I'm not somebody who really like blushes but I could just feel the heat come from my feet all the way up to the crown of my head and I was so I was like mortified I was horrified and I was like oh man and I I just felt like there you go like if, if I didn't even know about imposter syndrome back then, but that was that moment where I felt that kind of like, like that fear. And I'm going to tell you this, after that, I would not say it. I would not say it that I was a writer for like a wicked, 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 wicked long time. It took me a long time to get brave enough to claim that for myself again. And the reason why I'm telling you that story is not for your sympathy or your empathy or to make that person who said it um, guilty or wrong or bad. Because um, the reason why I'm telling you that story is I just want you to understand that I relate and I know why there is that fear. And I understand why we're sometimes afraid to say things out loud. So to add on to that story, and then I'm going to bring it all home together, right? So we're talking about imposter syndrome, that fear, that fear of being um, exposed as a fraud. So like my fear came true. <laughs> my fear was like, <gasps> and even though I was in this class and I was writing and I was producing content and I did get a little article in the Santa Monica paper and like all that stuff, it still just sucked the wind right out of me. And what was fascinating about that is over time, as I kept taking different writing classes with different teachers, one of the things that came up repeatedly was basically, you have to be wicked careful, like wicked picky and choosy about who you let know your dreams, who you tell your dreams to, your plans, your ideas, who you show your work to, because there are just times when people do not have the capacity to see you, to really see your work. And let's break this down a little bit, because it's going to lead to the next big story that I want to tell that I'm just fascinated by. And it's a saying that came into my awareness rather recently, but it's been wicked helpful in explaining so much, right? But so sit tight. So here's the thing. So um, when you're a writer, like I have writing friends, like in particular, one of my writing mentors, um, Andre Debuse III. Andre Debuse III will work on a novel sometimes for like, you know, five years, whatever, however long it takes, however long it takes for him. And he doesn't even let his wife see those first, like, he's like, when he's ready for her to see it, she's like one of his first readers, but he does not share his work with anybody. And he equates it to kind of like, um, you know, if you were pregnant, you wouldn't want to open yourself up and say, oh, no, 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 let's like make it blue eyes instead of brown. Like, you don't want people messing with the baby, right? And he talks about when you are um, in a creative process, it's like the gestation period. It's like being pregnant with this idea. And we don't want to mess around with it. And I can just tell you from that experience of kind of opening myself up and being brave and saying it maybe in the company. And I didn't realize the person was behind me. I obviously had no idea that they would say that over my shoulder. But we have to, we have to know um, and it's why I'm also a gateless writing teacher and a gateless writing facilitator. And we can talk about that another time. But so much of it is about creating space for creativity, creating space for possibility, for creating space for the divine to come through you without the fear of the critical mind, without the fear of that critiquing and negative feedback and people tearing you down and trying to be the smartest one in the rooms. And, and basically, what's that old saying? Throwing, throwing pearls before swine. Right? You don't want to take these things that are, that are um, for lack of a better word, let's call them precious to you, these things that you're creating. You don't want to just toss them at the feet of people who don't have the fucking like, wherewithal and common sense to recognize it for what it is and to pick it up and to elevate it rather than to see it at its feet and to stomp on it and to just like crush you, <laughs> to try and crush the spirit. Uh, that is not what we want to do. And I was thinking about this and how, you know, it can be wicked hard for people who know you in the everyday ordinary, the people who either you grew up with or your siblings or your parents or past teachers or like whatever it is, it can be really hard for them to see the extraordinary in the ordinary. 
it can be really hard for them to see you outside the box that they have created for you. The position and the place that they have put you in that keeps them either comfortable or superior or whatever the thing is. But it can be really hard sometimes for the people close to you whether it was close in familial ways or in close proximity to you, like everybody grew up in the same town and they just cannot see the extraordinary in what they have labeled as ordinary, this box that they've put you in. And um, that's why, like I always say to writers, like a lot of people come to, who come to work with me often are looking to find their voice. They're looking to, and it might not be to like actually write, like write a book or write essays or a poetry or whatever it is. Sometimes they just want to find their voice in their life. Um, and I'm always like, you need to get some people around you, what I call balcony people, who can support you in this process so you can get some strength. So you can start to get some um, some strong foundations, some strong internal stabilizers around yourself so that you don't doubt yourself. Because of course you're going to doubt yourself if everybody around you starts telling you all the time what you can't do. If you announce a dream, if you, if you exclaim a dream, right? And you're trying to like be anointed in this truth of like, I'm an artist, I'm a musician, I'm a creative, I'm whatever, right? Um, and if the people around you aren't willing to reflect that back to you, the possibility of that back to you, of course, of course, you're going to, you know, probably second uh, guess yourself and doubt yourself unless you have incredible knowing of yourself beyond the ego, knowing yourself as you really are and whether you call that a child of God, whether you call that perfect innocence, whether you call that the light of the world, whatever you want to call it, knowing yourself as spirit, not having overwhelming body identification, but instead knowing yourself as eternal and perfect spirit, it goes a wicked long way. And this is why I encourage like my creative friends, I'm like having a spiritual practice, woo, however you want to do it, there's a thousand ways. As Ralph Waldo Emerson says, God enters by a private door into every individual. So there's a thousand ways to have that deep connection. So I would just encourage you to understand that sometimes, you know, people just are not able to let you out of the box that they've built for you. And I've experienced this so many times in my life. Like I'll never forget. Now, part of this I'm going to admit with this little story, part of it was earned. Okay. Part of it was earned. Part of the doubt in me was like kind of earned. So in high school, and again, I'm not going to name names, but in high school, my, I had an accounting teacher <laughs> and anybody who knows me from Lawrence, who was in that class with me, they'll know. And it's not that I was stupid. You guys, it's, I was not a stupid kid. That was not my problem. My problem is, is that I probably had PTSD and I was in shock from my life. <laughs> Just being like my life at that point, right? Um, and I had a hard time. I had a hard time in accounting. And it just, I'm like, I could totally do math, like regular math. And I was actually in like, uh, you know, trig class and calculus class. And I didn't like that either, but I could do it. Like words were always my things. I can do math enough to like balance my checkbook. And if I find it helpful and I use a calculator now, like whatever. And it's not, the, again, it's not that I'm bad at it. It just never was my thing. So like, I just found accounting, like I just wanted to bash myself in the face. In my English class, all day long, give me the words. But that class was just like painful for me. So I was always talking to the kid behind me and flirt with the one over there and like whatever. And so, you know, in one of my other teachers, but sometimes, um, a lot of times, help me with my homework just so I wouldn't fail, right? Whatever. <laughs> it was bad, but here's the thing. I wasn't a bad kid and I wasn't even necessarily a bad student. Um, I was just... I was just in a diff very difficult time in my life and I couldn't pay attention in that class. And I excelled. I excelled in other areas, okay? I was like, there's a thousand other markers where I was like doing okay. So here's the thing. I failed that class, you know, end up having to take something else. I don't even know what happened. But years later, I go back to the school. I go back to Lawrence High School and I'm walking down the hall and I'm there to actually see the teacher who I loved, who's like a second mom to me, Miss Kayla Feb. And I'm there to see Miss LaFeb and my old uh, teacher, my old accounting teacher sees me in the hallway and he's like, hey, 
what are you doing here? And I'm like, oh, I'm here to see Miss Lefebvre, like blah, 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 blah. And he's like, so what are you up to? <laughs> you just knew this guy had no high hopes for me, right? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm actually in like my second year at BU. And he just literally, he stops walking and he looks at me and he says, you're at Boston University. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, he said it twice. He's like, you got into BU. And I was like, yeah. And you could just tell he just shook his head like he could not believe it. I just remember how triumphant, how triumphant I felt walking down the hall after that. Like, that's right, motherfucker. Because um, there have been so many times in my life where people have underestimated me. There have been so many times in my life where people have underestimated me. And here's the thing. If that happens to a person enough times, they will start to doubt themselves. They will start. You'll either get a chip on your shoulder and get pissed, and then you always have your dukes up, and it's attack, defend, prove, all that stuff, which is kind of the way that I went. Or you will start to really, really, really doubt yourself. And I kind of facilitate. I think I flip-flop back and forth between those for like a really long time in my life. Um, but I'm happy to say. I, I am like, this is why I'm a champion of the underdog. This is why, like, I, 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 like all, my great, all my favorite stories are like comeback kid stories, right? Goodwill Hunting and The Karate Kid and Rocky, right? It's all like this, this rise from the old story to the glory, right? That, that's the process that I use in my work because I love it so much. Because if you keep getting told by the people around you that you can't, or you go to claim what you feel in your heart you're supposed to do, what you're called to do, what you know is your passion, and people give you the side eye, or people kind of suck their teeth at you, or roll their eyes, or laugh at you, or they don't champion you, or cheerlead for you, man, of course people are going to have right? The imposter phenomenon, the fraud syndrome, right? The imposter experience, because nobody has reflected back to them yet their own brilliance. And here's the thing. This is the second story that I wanted to tell you that is so fascinating. So lesson number one, get some good people around you, get some balcony people around you. And if you haven't listened to that episode yet, go check out balcony people. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Number one, but you know who else got doubted? You know who else had a doubting Thomas in his life? And this is what's so fascinating, you guys. I'm going to take a little like segue. I was raised a Catholic kid. Jesus has always been one of my guys, right? And there have been lots of times in my life where I, I have seen like Jesus. I always, I sometimes say to people, look, I'm all for people's enthusiasm and love of their faith, right? I'm all for it. I think it's amazing. Long as you're not hurting anybody else with it. But sometimes people get wicked enthusiastic about their particular path, church, faith, Bible thumper, whatever. And I'll sometimes jokingly say, hey, 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 nobody asked for your Jesus enema. Nobody was looking for the Jesus enema. Like relax over there with that, right? So I have a deep love for Jesus, but it's not attached really in any kind of religious um, system way. I am just a free agent with Jesus, right? Like I just love Jesus. I love the stories of him. I love the mythology of him. I love the mysticism of him. I love all the different lessons and the example that he set of, set of what's possible when a human being really knows thyself. So don't get weird around the Jesus stuff when I'm trying to tell this story because I don't want you to lose, like don't like blah, 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 like block your ears and go all weird because like Jesus was crammed down your throat or up your ass as a kid, right? You know what I'm saying? So just hear me out here because I found this amazing. I heard this phrase one time and it totally has to do with imposter syndrome. So, so sit with me here. I hope, I hope you take something away from this because it was, it was so powerful because there are ways that imposter syndrome can totally stop us, right? Where, where like when people are giving you like bad feedback because they can't see you, they are, will not allow themselves to see the extraordinary and what they have deemed the ordinary and they cannot see your brilliance. They just are focusing on your old bullshit or who you used to be or they won't give you credit. They won't give you daps, right? Whatever the thing is. So there are ways that imposter syndrome will stop you, but there are also ways that we don't have to let it stop us. And this is like one of those stories. 
Um, so this is a little Jesus story, but here's the thing. It's not like it, 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 I have not read the Bible, but I do hear some things once in a while that grab my attention. And I think I got to check that out because, and they're always like Jesus stories. So here's one of them. So I heard this phrase. I heard this phrase offhand, off cuff. I don't even remember who said it, but I heard this. I wish I could remember because I'd say like, hey, you, you, you triggered this idea in me, <laughs> but I heard, I, I don't know. I'm going to search my mind some more, but I heard this. A prophet is not accepted in his own hometown. I was like, what? Now I heard, I'm like, this is a saying about Jesus. And it was like, even Jesus was not accepted in his own hometown. And I was like, what's this about? Like I was immediately hooked. So I Google it, right? I Google everything. So I'm like, I'm going to Google this. And I Google it and I'm like, Jesus, prophet, hometown, what's the deal, right? Bing, bang, boom, the stories come up. And I was like, fascinated. So there's this saying somewhere, I don't know, it's in a thousand places. Maybe it's in Matthew or Luke or whatever. And please, the really good Bible readers don't come for me. I don't mean to be disrespectful. Um, I just saw that it was accredited to different, different parts and different, um, let me just say it like this. There's like, you know how there's all the different versions of the Bible? I don't know which one it came from, but I will say this. This is what it said. A prophet, is, it's said a couple of different ways. A prophet is not accepted in his own hometown and among his relatives, in his own family, or in his own household. A prophet is not accepted in his own household. And I'm like, what is that about? Because it really rung true to this idea of people not being able to acknowledge a prophet right in their midst. And I was like, well, what's the hang up? Like, what's the problem? Because this sounds like it, it's, it's in that ballpark of that whole imposter syndrome thing. Like people have this fear because the people around them won't acknowledge it. They won't acknowledge their talent or their gifts or their dreams or their visions, right? Their abilities. And we knew, we knew just from what the different writings said, whether you call them like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like gospel truth or more like allegory and story. But we know Jesus is known as being like a miracle worker, right? Like legit. So I'm like, how could these people like not see it? Like what was the deal? So I'd go a little farther, further, further, farther. You know, I don't know. A grammar police. Help me out with that one. I always blow that one. I think it's further. So I dig a little deeper. Let me say that. I dig a little deeper. And I found this great article, you guys. And uh, here's the title of it. And I don't read any of these publications. I'm just saying, I pulled this off the Google, but I always like to give credit. And it was this great thing that was posted by a guy named Jeff Peabody um, on May 22nd, 2019. And I guess it's from like Christianity Today or whatever. I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's a magazine or whatever. But let me just, I'm going to read a couple of snippets from this because they punched me. I was like, in a good way. Like they just popped off the page for me. And I was like, this is fascinating. Okay. So here's the headline of the story. And this is why it caught my attention. It says, why Jesus couldn't do miracles in his hometown. Who doesn't want to, like, how do you not want the follow-up to that, right? <laughs> Unless you're like anti-Jesus or afraid of Jesus or you don't want to get a Jesus enema again or whatever the deal is. But I was hooked. I was like, why Jesus couldn't do miracles in his hometown? And I was like, please, please, Jeff Peabody, tell me. <laughs> and this is, this is what he says. He says, there's a story in the Gospels about a time in Jesus's ministry when he, and listen to this, when he returned to his boyhood stomping grounds of Nazareth. But the reception was less than Stella. <laughs> so good. The reception was less than Stella because he didn't look like the hope anyone expected. So right there, boom. He goes back to his hometown of Nazareth, his old stomping grounds, and his people do not embrace him. They don't embrace him because he doesn't look like the quote unquote hope that they had expected. That is just brilliant, right? And he goes on to say that he goes to his hometown, he goes into the synagogue and he started teaching in a way, this is what it says, right? He started teaching in a way that stunned, stunned his listeners. And it went on, he says here, people were shocked that this man that they had known since childhood and this is the piece that I love. Listen to this. They were shocked that this man that they had known since childhood had the audacity to say the things that he did as if he had the authority and credentials to do so. 
it was offensive. And I was like, okay, these people are like, who do you think you are to be saying this stuff? Jesus, who grew up down the street, who was like a nobody, who was a loser. Like you come into our synagogue, you come rolling into our town trying to talk to us. Like you, what kind of audacity do you have, brother, to be showing up like, oh, I'm the son of God. Like I'm Christ, right? Like I just thought, isn't this so typical of people? How many of us, please raise your hand. I know I can't see you right now, but if you feel me, double amen hands me right now. If you know what I'm talking about, this feeling right here, like this is the very common blue collar. Who the fuck do you think you are? What do you think you're better than us? What do you, what are you getting too big for your britches over there? Right. And I was like, Ooh, even Jesus got a taste of this. Oh, praise Jesus. Here you go. And it goes on to say, that this reception from his people, it impacted, it impacted his work outside the synagogue. And it goes on to say this, he could not do any miracles there. Like he could kind of lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them, I guess. Uh, but he was amazed at their lack of faith. Okay. So it goes on and he, he's making a point, like it felt really jarring. Like as a Christian, as him reading this, right, this guy was saying, Jeff Peabody was saying, you know, it's a little jarring to read that he was unable to perform any miracles that day. He's like, what happened? And he says at face value, it sounds like these people were in their lack of faith was his kryptonite. Like somehow it robbed him or it weakened him of his power. And he says, the incident reads like a sad footnote to a day gone wrong where Jesus couldn't do what he really wanted to do. And it was just so incredible because that's not what it was really about at all. What he goes on to say is Jesus's um, inability to do miracles that day really does not speak to his lack of power. It actually speaks to his character. And he goes on to talk about this need for approval. And this is the part that I want you guys to really hear. If you're still with me and you can hear the sound of my voice and you have ever felt like, you know, like, oh my God, I'm a fraud. What if they don't give me their approval or their acceptance and they don't think I can do these things? Even though you know, even though you know what you know, even though you've been through what you've been through, you've taken the classes, you paid the courses, you've gotten the education, whether it was online, in real life, whatever. You got the PhD, you got the little letters after your name, whatever. There are just times in our life we know what we know. But we have this fear that everybody else knows more. Everybody else knows us better than we know ourselves. And we doubt. We become our own little doubting Thomases. But listen to this. I love this. Listen to this. He says, no need for approval, Jeff Peabody. He says, Christ's choice to do nothing in this story embodies a bigger truth, meaning he didn't do the miracles that day. He says, instead of indicating failure, his inactivity told the world exactly who had arrived. I love this. It says, um, this alludes to the silence. So the silence that Christ speaks, the, the, how do I say this? Let me say this. Doo, doo, doo. Oh, the silence of Christ actually speaks volumes about his work. Meaning that day when they were all doubting him and he wasn't performing a bunch of miracles, he didn't like stand in the market square and start shouting, but I'm the son of God. Don't you guys believe? How come you don't believe me? And he, he didn't do a bunch of fancy things to try and get them right to believe in him. He stood silent because he didn't need their approval. He knew who he was. He didn't have imposter syndrome. So listen up, perky ears, check this out. It says, similarly, the very lack of a dramatic display in Nazareth becomes a revelation of his character. It becomes a revelation of homeboy Jesus's character. He's like, they could not bring, the people of Nazareth, his homeboys, his hometown people, prophet is not welcome in his own hometown, right? The people of Nazareth could not bring themselves to accept Jesus as the son of God. Because the whole notion to them, he says, was offensive. It didn't fit their understanding of the world. Ooh, that's like me saying, I'm a writer. And the person behind me, it wasn't about the fact that I wasn't a writer. It was about the inability of the person standing behind me to be able to see me in that capacity in the world. Me saying that, that version of me didn't fit comfortably, comfortably, comfortably <laughs> in his version of the world. 
So rather than expanding his mind and making room for what is possible, what could be possible one day, took me out, tried to take me out of the knees, try to don't get too big for your britches, try to embarrass you or shame you or who the fuck do you think you are? Like one of those, right? So amazing. And here's what it goes on to say. This is so good. Jesus was just a local boy, no different than anybody else who had a sketchy origin story and a blue collar skill set. So humanly speaking, he didn't have the credentials to merit paying him that much attention. So that's where those people were coming from. To them, important people looked a particular way. They had a bunch of money. They were fancy. They had the right schooling. They were impressive, right? They had connections, all this stuff. So they're looking at Jesus coming back into town and they're like, yeah, no, no, dude, I don't think so. You don't have the credentials. You're not who you think you are. And this is really great. Like, listen to this. So in the face of that skepticism and outright hostility, Jesus chose not to do miracles. And Jeff says, if I were in his shoes, I think I would have gone in the opposite direction. <laughs> he says, given my tendency to want everyone's approval and acceptance, I would have thought, hey, here's an opportunity to win these people over. I'm going to give them what they want. And if they don't believe now, I'm going to do something impressive and it's going to convince them once and for all that I really am the son of God. And this is so amazing. This is the difference between, this is the difference between reacting from fear and the ego. I'll show them, attack, defend, prove, right? I'm going to make them know my name, right? Um, versus Jesus being like, oh, you guys don't have the faith. I don't need your approval. I don't have to prove anything to you. I don't have to walk on water here or do all this fancy stuff, right? And I just love this. I love this level of self-knowledge, this level of self-knowing and not feeling like he needed to like become desperate because they couldn't see what he knew within himself who he was, right? And it says this, and listen to this line. I think it's so funny. He says, Jeff Peabody, again, back to the article. He says, praise God that Christ doesn't share my insecurity. <laughs> oh my God, that had me howling. He's like, you know, wherever Jesus went, people were always asking him for a sign or some evidence of his claim. Like, hey, prove it. Oh yeah? Oh yeah, prove it. Of course, who wouldn't, what mere mortal wouldn't start to feel a little like, oh my God, imposter syndrome, because nobody ever believes me. They take one look at me and they doubt me, right? He goes, it took tremendous inner strength to not act in an effort to prove himself. And that strength came, here's the pot, listen up, attune your little ears. This is wicked important because it may be, I mean, I don't know. I can only speak for myself. When I heard this, I was like, ooh, pay attention, KK, pay attention. That strength came from being firmly grounded in the love and delight of his father. And it was that was the only assessment that counted. And he was thoroughly pleased with his son before he had even begun his public ministry. This is why I always say, I answered a one boss. I don't have to tap dance or do a dog and pony show or perform some friggin' miracle for anybody I don't have a lot of imposter syndrome anymore. Not that I'm super conscious aware of because I'm not trying to be anything but me. I'm not trying to prove I'm the smartest one in the room. I'm almost never the smartest one in the room. I know what my strengths are. In the places where I have weaknesses, I'm willing to work on them. So what do I have to be afraid? I don't have to know all the answers. I don't have to know the perfect words. I just have to show up honestly and vulnerably as I am in the strength of knowing myself, who walks with me, who comes with me, who walks along beside me, what's trying, what and who is trying to work through me. And I don't have to worry about what all the, I always say, I say this lovingly, what all the knuckleheads, right? All the other knuckleheads think. I don't need to have imposter syndrome, right? That's on them. That unshakable love was the foundation that freed Christ from the compulsion to scramble after the crowd's approval. Woo, Jeff Peabody, bring it. He could stay focused on his singular mission without getting caught up in the trap of satisfying everyone's expectations. He came to save and not to sell. Woo! You guys, I hope you're feeling me right now. And look, if, please, I hope you're able to extract any kind of past 
like ickiness in your mouth or tightness in your body when we're talking about Jesus. I say it all the time. Don't feel threatened by this. Look at it as just a parable, just as a story, a really great example of what's possible. When you start to stand in the knowing of your true self. So important. So we don't need to explain or defend or prove ourselves. As Brené Brown says, you get wicked clear. You get wicked clear on whose opinions actually matter. When you start to get, here's the thing that I will say about imposter syndrome. Here's one of the positives I think about it. It can keep you honest. You know how I avoid it? I stay in my lane. There's a reason why I don't teach about stock tips. I don't teach about like, you know, keto diets, right? Cause, a, because I'm vegan, number one. Number two, I'm not a nutritionist. Number three, I'm not a stockbroker, right? I don't go and start dipping my toes into places where I have no business speaking up with my big mouth, right? I know myself. I know what I know. I know where my strength lies. And here's the thing. I am a writer. I am a writer. I am a storyteller, right? I will someday be a published author with a book. I've been published in other little places, but I will one day have a book. Nobody can take that from me. I don't have imposter syndrome around being a writer anymore. And I don't want you to have imposter syndrome around your dreams, your visions, what you came here to do either. Don't let anybody take that away from you. And if you have mega imposter syndrome, I would encourage you to sit down. And I don't know if you want to talk to somebody about it or you want, here's the thing. You know how you, you get rid of that, I'm afraid I don't know what I'm doing, is you start to know exactly what you're doing. You practice. Repetition is the mother of all learning. You put in consistent effort. You put in the commitment. You become excellent at whatever it is that you hang a shingle and say that you do. And there are just going to be times when sometimes you're learning something new and you're not the best at it, but you don't come out and say you're the best at it if you're not the best at it. You just be honest. That's how you deal with it. You don't run around trying to throw yourself, the pearl that you are, the light that you are, before the people who don't get it could never get it because they have their own limited thinking. They do not, they never went after their dreams. They never went after and they never left their hometown or they never pursued their own dream or went after the big thing or took any risks. The only person I want you to be asking yourself about imposter syndrome with is yourself. Am I answering the call of my heart? Don't worry about the naysayers. I would say let them, I mean, one of the best the best advice I ever got in my life, one, one of them, was an older gentleman. I've told the story already, so all I'm going to do is go right to the punchline. I'm going to go right to the thing. And he looked at me one day and he said, with a fucking smile on his face, because he could see my suffering, about, I had just come out of a room of a bunch of men who were trying to humiliate me and make me look stupid and just treat me like a piece of ass and a pretty face. And he looked at me and he smiled. And I was in my 20s and he said to me, let them underestimate you. Because he saw me and he knew who I was and he knew what I was capable of and he could future vision me. He could future cast me. He knew where I was going and he saw the strength in me. And I leaned on that for so long. And to this day, to this day, because of my accent or how I sound or whatever it is, once in a while I hear a clip of me talking and I turn to my sweetie and I say, oh my God, is that what I sound like? (laughs) So I can understand, right? I can understand why somebody might hear my accent or the sound of my voice and go like, what? Who is this broad? Like, why would I listen to her? I understand why people can underestimate me, but it doesn't stop me. It doesn't bother me because I'm like, let them underestimate me because I'm in service to something greater than their small-minded opinions, their limited vision. You know what I'm saying? I hope you guys can feel this one. This is a love letter from my heart to yours. So Whenever you, even if Jesus isn't your guy, I don't care, insert a different character, but he did not go seeking the approval. He did not, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Is it gravel? He did not, like, belittle him, like, bring himself down, grovel at the feet of his doubters. He just didn't perform any miracles that day because a prophet is not welcome in his own town. People, People can't see you for who you really are. 
You are the light of the world. You are a motherfucking peacock. But sometimes people have so much fear and scarcity and doubt and limitation and lack of creativity and imagination and enthusiasm in their own hearts, in their own minds. And it's not even about you. So if you're anybody who is suffering from this, and it could be of your own doing, your own self-doubt, let's get to work on that, right? This is one of the reasons why I do like spiritual mentoring is to help people to transform those old stories into their glory, to reclaim their voice, right? To show up and do the work, to find the purpose and the meaning of their life. We only get like in this incarnation, right? We get one time around the block that we're aware of. And you might believe in karma and dharma and past lives and coming back around and amazing, right? Reincarnation, all of it. But like, let's just look in this one lifetime. Let's not blow it, man. Let's get down to the business of flipping that script and, and, and transforming that story into your glory and really coming to see yourself and claiming yourself and anointing yourself as I am this. I am a writer. I am a spiritual teacher. I am a podcast host. I am, right? Go on and on and on and on and on, whatever it is. And I don't have to, like I said, I don't have to fear of getting found out. I just do the best that I can. I make mistakes. I pick myself up. I apologize if I need to. And as long as we're living in, um, you know, not false authority, we're living authentically in the truth of ourselves and we're going to be clumsy. That is just the nature of being human and having a body and having an ego. We're not always going to get it right. And the things that we teach and the things that we say, are we going to do it a thousand percent of the time, a hundred percent of the time? Probably not, right? We're going to talk about forgiveness and then we're going to hold a grievance and then we recognize it. And it's like, ah, oh, shit, I got to work on that one, right? But we ha if we waited until we were 100% perfect, we'd never put anything out. So to those of you out there right now who are letting imposter syndrome, this fear of being found out as a fraud, as being rejected by your community or your people, of being called out because there's a huge call-out culture happening right now, right? The thousand ways that we get frozen, whether it's in procrastination or our own perfectionism, or our fear, or whatever it is, I would just encourage you to be in service to love, be in service to the call of your heart, to your individual curriculum, to do your divine assignment, and to um, not care so much, right? Brené Brown has a great thing where she talks about the people that you surround yourself with. Like those people have to like earn the right to know your shame. And I would, I would, I would flip that and say they also need to earn the right to, to, for you to share your dreams with them. For you to share those tender parts of your hearts, those things, those moments when you find the courage to say out loud to a stranger, I'm a writer. Surround yourself with people who believe in you, who cherish you, who celebrate you, who will call you on your shit when you need it, who will help you to own both your brilliance and your bullshit, right? But do not surrender your dreams. Do not take yourself out. Don't punch yourself in your own face. Like don't, don't take yourself out of the knees because of somebody else's inability to see the truth of you. And I'm going to leave it right there. You guys, I love you so much. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this was helpful or valuable in some way. If it was, I always love to hear your favorite takeaway. Uh, whatever you found um, helpful. If you know somebody who's struggling with this, please send this to them, like from my heart to theirs, from your heart to theirs, share it. Um, somebody left a review the other day and I was wicked excited. I'm trying to remember who it was, but I remember I just saw it come in and I was like, oh my God, it means so much to me. It means so much to me. I get a little um, email like once a week from this thing called Chattable. And it will reflect to me or show me if there's like a new review. I don't go looking for them, right? So it comes in my email box and I'm like, oh, notification. And I'm like, what's that? And I'll see that somebody just left like the nicest review. And it means so much to me, not because like, sure, I'm sure I like to hear, right? Of course, I'm a human being. I like to hear that the work that I'm doing is helpful or making a difference in some way. But that's not necessarily, I don't do it for the accolades, right? I'm not getting rich off a podcast right now. Uh, so 
but what it does is it helps me to be of service and it helps me to spread the good word and it helps me to spread the love. That's what, this is a communication device for me to, to spread new ways of thinking and being in the world of looking at things from a different perspective. So when you leave a rating, when you leave a review, um, it is just another way of helping me to get it out there and to spread it. So I appreciate it. So just thank you. Thank you so much for those of you who have already done it. And if you are um, a loyal listener of the show, if you dig the show and you haven't already, it would mean the world to me that you um, do that. So thank you so much. Um, also, if you are wanting to get on the waiting list for The Nest, my spiritual membership program, uh, you can just do that. <laughs> you can send me an email. Uh, I'm going to be building the sales page with the official, quote unquote, official waiting list. But you can just shoot me an email, Karen at KarenKenny.com. If you're interested in working with me one-to-one in a committed and intimate, um, you know, uh, spiritual mentoring relationship, um, you can also send me an email. You can also go to my website, KarenKenny.com and uh, slash there forward slash uh, work with me and find out how to do that. And you guys, I just appreciate you so much. I hope you're having an amazing day. I know it's been a little tough out there. Um, lots of, you know, the world doesn't give you any lack of reasons to be afraid and overwhelmed, right? <laughs> and this is why daily spiritual practices are so important. Having consistent things that you do. Uh, and that's why, you know, this whole podcast is about spirituality and storytelling because I want to just... Um, like, I just want to drop as many breadcrumbs and as many tools and as many um, stories as I can that might help you to um, feel uplifted, to feel elevated, um, to, to, to know that you are loved, that you are seen and you are heard and that you matter, that your stories matter, that your voice matters, and that you matter to, to me and to uh, the divine. So I see you. I, I celebrate you. I appreciate you. Uh, I love you. Wherever you go, May you leave the people, the place, the animals, the beings, the environment better. Wherever you go, may you be a blessing. Bye. Hey, you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Karen Kenny Show. <laughs> I super duper appreciate your time, friendship, and support. And look, if something that I shared from my heart today somehow landed in yours, I'd love to hear about it. So please tag me on Facebook or Instagram or IG stories or wherever the cool kids are hanging out these days and let me know what your favorite pot was or what you found most helpful. You can find me over at Karen Kenny Live. That's Karen K-E-N-N-E-Y-L-I-V-E. And if you're digging what I'm saying and you want to hear more, I'd be wicked grateful if you could go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a review because you guys, that's how you'll help me to keep spreading the love. And if you can think of someone that could benefit from hearing this episode, please share it with them. I'd also love to stay connected with you. So if the feeling is mutual, please go to karenkenny.com backslash freebie and download my free guide to building your spiritual team. Until next time, my brothers and sisters, keep living in the fearless flow. Know that I see you, I appreciate you, and I love you. And wherever you go, may you be a blessing.